I'm always excited for Q&A nights. Uh, one of the questions that I'm going to be bringing involves money is, uh, straight off the back, where do I get it? You know, <laughs> help me. Uh, so maybe, maybe Drew and Scott can teach us how to find money. Um, welcome to the table. I see some new faces. Um, I'm Alex Sheets. I'm college intern here. I've been doing it for a year. And uh, how the table works, just real briefly, is we have, we have two people get up. Uh, the first one just tells us what the text is today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 uh, through 33. And the second person gets up and tells us what, like, like what we just know, uh, what, what we've been talking about, and what we do with that. How do, how do we apply it? Um, I've got the easy part. I'm literally, okay, not, not literally, but I'm just going to get up and read it and walk through what Paul is saying, what his arguments are, maybe some things you might not know from an initial glance. And then Kelsey will get up and tell us what we should go and then do. Um, just to reiterate a little bit, uh, since we've been walking through Second Corinthians for a whole year now, um, we've been in chapter 8 and 9, we've been talking about generosity. We talked about generosity a lot, um, almost to the point where I was like, okay, I get it. I'm going to, I'll tithe or something, you know. Um, Paul just moved into, um, in chapter 10, he just moved into the challenge of authority. He starts talking about these false apostles who are claiming, uh, claiming that he has more authority than them, uh, claiming that they're better. And now, so Drew set this up last week. He set up that Paul is getting into what's called the fool's speech, um, and now we're going to be getting that today. And, and I, just gotta, I just have to stop and ask, why did, why did we give the full speech to me? Like, was that, a, was that an underhanded, uh, I don't know. We thought it was obvious. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the object lesson of the full speech, whatever the reason was. Um, but so we're, we're going to get today about Paul talking about his qualifications as the apostle. Um, but before we do that, I, wanna, I want two disclaimers before we start walking through all this stuff. Um, the first one is, don't compare yourself. Like, don't, well, don't compare yourself initially. Uh, it, it's really easy for us to, to hear all these things that Paul faced and say, like, Ah, oh, man, uh, I've never gotten shipwrecked. I've, I've never gotten stoned to near death. Am I even a Christian? I don't know, okay, maybe, maybe that's just me, but um, don't compare yourself. Let's just, let's hear how he would have said. And the second one is don't read strengths into this. So we are 21st century Christians. We've been exposed to Paul's teaching for a lot of us for almost all our lives. And so we hear these things and we're like, he, how he does all this suffering and how he's weak in all these areas. And we say like, dude, that's, that's awesome. Like, what's the deal? We got to realize that we're, we've already been influenced by Paul. So those are my disclaimers before we get into it. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day about uh, a friend of mine had, had an interview that he had to go take. Um, and we're, we're discussing, like, what's the best ways that we can present this friend in front of, uh, in front of the, the person so he can, he can get a job. He really wants a job. And in our infinite wisdom, uh, which we had just heard from someone else, uh, we came up with the brilliant idea of play up your strengths and your weaknesses. I mean, be honest with it. Don't, like, don't like hide your weaknesses. Um, but just make sure that they realize that your strengths are better. Like, 
you, you, you've got it going on, and your weaknesses, they're there, but like, you can work through them. Um, we're going to see how Paul would approach this. Um, it's, it's kind of like an interview. I mean, that's how I, I saw it initially. We have the false apostles. They're coming up, and they're giving their resumes to the church. And we have Paul, and let's see what he would say is the reasons why you should hear him for the job or, or the reasons that you shouldn't even talk like this. So with that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into 2 Corinthians. Bow your heads. Dear the Father, um, God, I'm just I'm honored to be able to get up here and speak about you. God, to get up here and speak your words. Uh, we, God, we believe that, that you have inspired this book. God, and we believe that, that you have given it to us. Um, and it... It's hard for me, God, because I don't feel worthy to speak, God. I, I feel like we're just, we just see it as normal, because um, we've been in this for a lot of our lives. The Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you be here with us tonight. I ask that anything good, that anything wise, anything impactful and changing would come from you, and that you would help us respond rightly to what your word is, God. Help us care tonight. Help us listen to what you have to say. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. I'll give you guys time. To, okay, you already turned there. Um, so I'm just going to read it at first, and then we're going to walk through some of the stuff it says later on. So, first, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to, to boast of, and I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a blanket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. That is the word of God tonight that we'll be walking through. Um, 
So just a little bit, a little more recap. Uh, we had this last week, and we're getting this now. Uh, Paul, the false apostles, they, they came and they they're saying like like here's here's why you should trust us. Here's why you shouldn't trust Paul. Um, several things they said, and uh, you can tell from Paul's response is they are Jewish. Um, they're saying like we are Hebrews. We know the Old Testament. We know how it applies to us now, and that we know how the gospel is built off of that. And they are eloquent. Um, if you remember from very early, we talked about how there was this um, group called the Sophists that, that, that trained themselves to speak these awesome languages and, and really stir up a crowd, but they don't really have good like quality things to say. Um, the third thing is they're costly. And Paul talks about this last week, saying like, like we weren't gonna, I, I didn't want to rob you. Like, just because I, I didn't work for you doesn't mean it wasn't worth anything. The uh, false apostles are saying that um, their their worth is is I mean it's worth the money like you you should pay to hear us they're big they're big time speakers and all of this is implied that they are wiser than Paul um, they're saying like hey we've got all these things and and we actually know the gospel and Paul like he's he's B team like he he deserves to be on the bench you know um, like. Like, we are the ones you should listen to. Um, Paul is hearing these things, and he's, he's hating the fact that he has to do this, but he's saying, like, you have brought me to this spot. Um, in every way, they look like, at least to us, if, if we were there, if we were the Corinthian church, saying, like, we should believe these guys. And Paul's saying, like, my authority is not off based off of that, but if we must do this, like, let's do it. Let's see where we go. Um, so Paul gives his reason, and I'm going to be marking it through here because it's just dense. I didn't want to just say like, like, hey, right here, like verse, look at this, whatever, because it's all over the place. So I'll be trying to mark it down as we go. Um, the first thing he says is, he talks, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. I'll just mark as we go. Israelites, offspring of Abraham, so am I. What is, what is Paul saying in that? Because to me, in Paul's resume... It seems like he said he's a Jew three times. Like, are they a Jew? So am I. Are they a Jew? So am I. Are, are they a Jew? I really am a Jew. And you could read it like this. You could say uh, that maybe he's saying, like, I'm, I'm a Jew of Jews. Like, I, I'm, I've, I like Scott's term. I'm the true blue super Jew. Um, and in a sense, that, that could be the case. But uh, one commentary I was reading uh, pointed out, pointed out this, and I think, it, I think it could apply better here. Um, he's pointing to, he might be pointing to different aspects of what it means to be a part of the people of God. Like, for instance, Hebrew, like, that's the culture. He's saying, like, I'm, I'm in the culture. I know I was raised in this. Uh, and we're going to get into more about how he, like, is, like, was the upper class of the culture. Um, are the Israelites, he's, that's, a, that's a reference to the Old Testament, that, uh, the Israelites were the people of God that God worked through to bring salvation. He's saying, like, I'm a part of the people of God. I'm not just part of the culture. I'm also a part of the people of God. And he says, are they offspring of Abraham? Um, that's, a, that's a reference to Genesis 12, where the promise made to Abraham was that, that God was going to bless the people through, bless everyone through him. Like, there's going to there's be a remnant. There's going to be a, a promise that is fulfilled. And Paul's saying, like, I am an all of that. It's kind of like 
Well, it's not. It's not just. It's not just that he's Jew. Like, uh, like I said, he's he was the upper class society of the Jews. Um, he was a Pharisee, and he he talks later like, in a different part in Philippians. He says like, like, I was a persecutor of the church. I was righteous. I did everything that was needed to be needed of me. And and he could have used this as like, as a get you in the door anywhere. This could have been like a an end of the discussion for his interview. But he doesn't use that. This is kind of like a, a Ph.D. professor, um, like let's just say like a Ph.D. professor of religion that comes and talks to us. I'm not a Ph.D. professor, but if there was one here, um, we would listen to what they say. But, but this is kind of like a professor that says like that has a Ph.D. that, that does not want to acknowledge the fact that he has any sort of training or any sort of that... that background and all that work for any reason, which I don't know why, but that's Paul saying, like, my authority is not built off of that, which is what we would say is pretty, pretty good, you know? Um, the second thing that Paul goes on to, so he, this is, this is one that's good, like, he, he's got, like, these are definitely things that they look for, that's one of the things that the false apostles would have said, the second thing in his interview, and you know this, you hear this all the time, is work experience. People will say, like, um, like you're sitting down, you're getting, you're, they're asking you stuff, and they're like, why, what reasons do we have for letting you work for us? Like, what kind of experiences have you done? Like, what other jobs? Um, Paul gives a little bit of this but not in the way that we would think. Um, the first one I'd like to point out is right here. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. So we have right off the bat, lashes, which he states right there is from the Jews. Which is strange because like we said, he is a Jew of Jews. He's a true blue super Jew, which I love saying. Um, the second thing he says is, I, three times I was beaten with rods, which is kind of like, I'm like, what? Is he just like saying he's been beaten in different ways? Um, one commentary that I, that I read actually helped clarify this. Is that, was a, that was a Gentile, um, a Gentile punishment. So he's getting rods from the Gentiles. And the last thing he says is, once I was stoned. Which I'm just, just pointing out, I don't, think, I don't think when someone attempted to stone someone, it was, I don't think it was something that you can just walk away from. I think that was supposed to be the end of discussion, like trying to kill Paul. Um, he said that I've received all this stuff. And the odd thing that I want you guys to think about is he deserved it. Like, like, Paul deserved to be lashed, and Paul deserved to be beaten with rods. Because he was a Jew that was going around and telling people that they do not need to follow their, the, the customs that they had. That, that the law, the cultural aspect, the law, the circumcision, um, the morality from it, um, the, the making you right before God, the sacrificial system... Like all of that, he was saying, is void. And you don't need to do that anymore. 
And yet he was still trying to go to synagogues and still trying to be a part. So he definitely, I mean, just from, from their standpoint, he definitely deserved the lashes and the rods. Um, he would go into their cities and he would say, hey, these idols that you're worshiping, this, this big booming system that they have, there's, there's people that, that spent their entire lives making idols and selling idols to other people. He's saying, you're worshiping false gods. You're not worshiping the real God. And they cause riots everywhere. And so I think I'm safe to say that from disturbing the peace, he deserved to be beaten with rods. And the weird thing is he knew he was going to get it. You know, he, I don't think he was surprised when they started dragging him out and, and trying to beat him with lashes and stuff. But he walked willingly into these things anyway. But he still does not, he still would not claim this as a reason why you should trust him. He, he makes it very clear that I'm speaking as a fool. I'm speaking not as the Lord would. The third thing he points out is a strange interview, I know, um, his sufferings. And just kind of walking through, he says um, he's been beaten, like, he says he's in danger from all sorts of things. And the first one he says is, is people. Um, danger from my own people, a danger from robbers, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Um, he said, I'm in danger everywhere I go. Everyone that I'm speaking to, everyone that I'm trying to win over is trying to get me. Um, the second thing he would say is he's in danger from lack. He speaks about how he's in, in cold and in exposure. He doesn't have food. Um, he goes hungry and dies of thirst. There's this one part that uh, says right, right here, without food, the translation says, uh, um, or it could, be, it could be interpreted as fasting. Like I do all these things and, I, and, I, and I, I'm always in fasting. I don't think that this is one of those I wanted the fasting things. I think this is like something that like he had to, you know? He didn't have a choice. And these would these would be hard, but the next couple that he states would they would really, really hurt as a as a man that's doing the seeking people. He states that he is in danger from the church. Um, he specifically says false brothers. Somewhere in here. Right here. Danger from false brothers. The only way you would find out who a false brother is is when they started acting like one. Um, I assume that a lot of these people that were out to get Paul, he probably, he probably went to, he probably witnessed uh, um, the Corinthians were a part of this. This is one of the reasons why he's writing them the letters. Their issues and their, they're calling Paul out because they don't trust him anymore. The next one he would state is his anxiety for the churches. And I know, I know there's people in the room that are like, okay, okay. I've got Paul on that one. Like, okay, we're equal on the anxiety on the anxiety side. Paul is saying that I'm part of all these struggles that I face. I have a deep desire 
for the churches to be well, and I'm constantly worried about them because it's his life aim is to make sure that the believers are edified and worshiping God in the right way and not listening to these false apostles. The last one, though, is probably the most interesting. He is basically in danger, and I'm going to put this in, in quotations, from God. Okay? Place yourself into their culture and their mindset. And you see, you see some of the stuff he's facing. Um, I was shipwrecked. I was adrift at sea every day. Everywhere I go, they're trying to kill me. Um, I'm in danger in the wilderness. I'm, I'm in danger at, uh, at sea again. I, I have nothing. Um, I believe it's safe to say that the Corinthians would look at Paul's resume and say that this man is cursed by God. Paul, so we've heard, we've heard the resume of the false apostles and how they sound great. And then Paul gets up and he says, do you know why, I mean, if we want to compare, do you know why you should listen to me? Um, I'm in danger. <laughs> I, I get rejected everywhere I go. Um, I'm in danger in seas. I, I'm in danger in the cities. And if I leave the cities, I'm in danger there. I'm in danger from robbers. I get shipwrecked. I'm adrift at sea all day. I don't have food. I don't have water. My life is a living hell. My life looks like it has been cursed by God in every way imaginable. The irony is, is that the people, the Corinthians, would look at Paul and they would say that this man has been cursed by God. But what Paul is going to get across to them is that it is God who has set himself, set Paul as his representative to the Corinthians. That he's modeling Jesus in everything he does. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was put out. Jesus said, like, foxes and birds have homes, and, and I don't have anything. Like, to follow me is not going to look the way you think it would. It does not look like success in this life, and maybe we should hear that. To be successful in Jesus' eyes does not look like it, is, like it would to us, to, to the world. as college students in the 21st century. But Paul is saying... Now, all of this still does not qualify him. Um, he actually, like, he, it's almost like, he's almost like paranoid when he says this stuff. Like, he'll start saying, he's like, hey, I'm talking like a madman, okay? This isn't really me. Um, I, I, I'm speaking as a fool. I'm speaking as, I'm not speaking as the Lord would. Um, he makes it very clear that all of these things that he's saying that, that, that should listen to him, that, that the fact that he's suffering is for their sake is not why they should listen. He does not commend himself. That's, that's the aim of our text tonight. Paul is not commending himself because it does not matter. Um, but he also, he also says one other thing in, in a related passage of Scripture. I want you guys to turn to Philippians 3. Turn to Philippians 3, verse 7. I just want to read that for you tonight.
Philippians 3. So we have from tonight that Paul wouldn't commend himself in any way. That that's not the point. But he also says here, Philippians 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may obtain resurrection from the dead. Paul does not commend himself and he does not complain to the Corinthians. Paul would take this resume and not reject it, not say, actually, where you would see living hell, uh, I would see living heaven. You know, that would be a nice, nice little play on words. But Paul would actually say, none of this matters at all. None of this is why you should listen to me. This would be me speaking about my own achievements, speaking about human efforts, and that is not where my authority comes from. But the strange thing that I, that I want to end with is uh, Paul could have gave a very stunning list of things he's done. He, he could, have, could have went on about how he's been everywhere. He's preached the gospel. He's baptized so many people, so many households. He's rebuked Peter in front of everyone and been right. He, he, could have, he could have done any of that. But he chose to play his weaknesses. And he chose to show how foolish it is to even play this game. Um, my question that I just want to end with is, what do these weaknesses that he mentioned have anything, anything at all, to do with the authority that he's talking about? If we're playing the game, if he's playing the game right, then why did he play it this way? And why did he give them this? That is something that Kelsey will be seeking to answer next. So go ahead and take a little bit of a break. Uh, get up, stretch your legs, and we'll get back together in about five minutes. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Kelsey Spear. I interned at the table last year and graduated in December and loved this place so much that I just decided never to move on. And so I recently was um, given the assignment of uh, speaking, and this is kind of one of my first times to do this. So bear with me tonight. I'm new. I'm learning. I'm growing. But... Um, Alec kind of ended our last section with this question about what does a giant list of sufferings and weaknesses have like really anything to do with apostolic authority or validating the gospel that Paul is preaching? And in order to answer that question, bear with me for a second, I'm going to kind of put you in a scene from Corinth. So imagine with me that you're a sailor stepping off a ship into this world-renowned Corinthian port. 
you've heard tales of this illustrious city and that men from all over the world flock here with their skills and their trades to get rich quick and pursue the Corinthian dream. It's a bit of a boom town, and you can tell after walking down the streets that they're lined with merchants and vendors from all over the world. There are luxurious goods from the east. There's spectacular pottery that people are selling from the west. And the lavishness of this city could only be supported by the type of place that has a booming economy. Buildings are overlain with precious gems and stones and famous Corinthian bronze that you've heard is actually more expensive than gold. And massive columns that line the streets are intricately carved with artistic detail that is second to none. The pace of the people running from place to place on the, on the city streets is overwhelming. And you see rich and poor alike swarming the city, getting from their last meeting to the next. You realize that the city is like full of people who are entrepreneurs and political climbers. The society seems like it might be built kind of on socioeconomic class and elitism. Everyone around you is toiling and striving to make it up to that next rung of the social ladder. So you, you're walking down the street and you come to a fork in the road. And you're looking up from sea level at this massive hill. And you notice 12, you know, maybe a dozen temples, Greco-Roman temples overlooking the city. There's one to the east that you've heard of that is dedicated to the goddess um, Aphrodite. And... Uh, You've heard that this temple has over a thousand temple slaves and <clears throat> Corinthian girls. <clears throat> a lot of your uh, buddies who just came off the ship with you will probably be spending the next several nights there pursuing some form of pleasure. <coughs> and then you look to the west side of the city and you see there's another temple there that's uh, dedicated to the god Asclepius or Asclepion, if you are pronouncing Greek or Roman. Um, and to it, many will flock carrying, basically, sculptures of body parts that they want to have healed. <laughs> that could get awkward. <laughs> so, people are flocking there, literally pursuing health. And in the middle of these two temples that are overlooking the city, you see a sculpture of Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor of this region. Below the grandiose sculpture, there's a 35-paragraph parchment dedicated to speaking of the resume of this Roman leader. It will go on and on and on about political honors and offices held. It will talk about the public works that he has commissioned and the vast and massive amounts of money and food and resources that he has donated to the people in his lands. It will talk about the many victories that he has achieved and the peace that he has brought to the land. And finally, it will end with the approval that he has earned from his people and the adoration that they have for him. You walk to the end of this fork in the road and there is no denying that this town, this city, is literally distinguished and landmarked 
by their pursuit and worship of health and wealth and pleasure and prosperity. Now take a moment to consider the Corinthian church and how this culture might have infiltrated their theology. We already have kind of mentioned the super apostles that were preaching a false, false gospel to them. And there are two things in particular that they've been able to deceive the Corinthian church about. Number one, that Jesus Christ, the risen son of God, promises the same blessings that these pagan gods, these Roman gods promise. Health, wealth, pleasure, prosperity. And then secondly, these super apostles have deceived the Corinthian church to believe that they should use the same set of credentials to prove their authenticity and authority. As long as the guy on stage can prove his authority with health and wealth and prosperity in his resume, then sure, we'll accept his wisdom. Now, if we remember Paul's relation to the, Cor- like to the Corinthian church, uh, he's gone. He, he planted the church. Um, he left for some time, and as he left, he started hearing about things that were happening in the Corinthian church. And so multiple times in multiple ways, he responded and encouraged and challenged the Corinthian people. Several times he went back himself to visit And a couple of times he wrote to them from afar, which is where we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians tonight. In Paul's latest absence, um, these super apostles have offended Paul in three ways. And the first of which is that they have usurped authority by self-promotion and praise, which are the same schemes and strategies that pagan leaders or worldly leaders would use to prove who they are. Second is that they've undermined Paul's authority by mocking the fact that his life is not distinguished by health and wealth and prosperity and pleasure. And then third, they've even maligned, by maligning Paul's character, they have maligned his gospel. And they have twisted how Christians are called to live to fit their own selfish gain. The Corinthian church foolishly (laughs) says, hey, Paul, why don't you share your credentials with us uh, and now prove your authority and your authenticity in the same way that these super apostles are doing. So as we've read and as Alex stated, they, he kind of said, okay, I'll play your game. I'll, I'll, I'll show you that I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, that I'm a descendant of Abraham, that I'm an Israelite. And then Paul does something really interesting. He kind of starts doing this thing that a lot of commentators call uh, double foolishness, like boasting, and it's doubly foolish. Um, First, he adopts the credentials or the categories of um, health and, or uh, that, yeah, the categories of health and wealth and prosperity that they have claimed give you authority. But the second element of foolishness is he says, I will, I will talk to you about my life and I will share with you in my, in my experience how I have dealt with health and wealth and prosperity and pleasure. But the way I'm going to argue this to you is upside down. So it's almost as if Paul is saying, health, <laughs> I've almost died a dozen times. Five lashings, three rod beatings, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Wealth, well, I'm homeless, 
I'm hungry a lot of the time. I'm thirsty a lot of the time. I work with my own hands to support myself. And uh, that's because I, I didn't charge you. I didn't burden you when I was among you. And then pleasure and prosperity. <laughs> he basically says, no matter where I go, um, brothers, these so-called brothers are going to endanger me. The fact that I'm constantly distressed and anxious about the state of my children is also kind of one way that I'm not pursuing pleasure. <laughs> I could just forget about y'all and be fine. But Paul takes the standards that they are calling him to prove himself by, and he says, okay, we'll talk to you about those same standards, and he reverses them. You, Paul says that the super apostles say that health and beauty validate your ministry, but he says, I've surrendered that. I have sacrificed that. Look at the tattered shoes that I wear. They're tattered because of the great distances that I've traveled to bring you this news. And look at the 195 stripes that are on my back that I've received from floggings, at least 195 that we know of. I've endured this excruciating pain so that I can bring you the news of the gospel. Okay, and Paul says, you say that wealth validates your ministry, but I have surrendered wealth. Look at my wallet. Or, I don't know, maybe it was a coin purse, who knows back then. But look at it, it's empty. I have not charged you. I have not burdened you a single day that I was with you. I've worked on my own. There's dirt under my nails. And then he says that you say that, that pleasure and prosperity like validate your authority or validate your ministry, but I've surrendered pleasure and I've surrendered prosperity. <laughs> so at the end of this section, I, I don't know if we got to it, but something kind of interesting happens. Paul, Paul talks about... If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying about this. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus um, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. What's kind of interesting about that is when Paul was on his way to Damascus, he was actually Saul. <laughs> he was not Paul. He was going there to round up a bunch of Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to have them persecuted. And he would have walked into the city being well-received in the synagogues, being paraded and praised for what a zealous and faithful Jew that he was. But on the way to Damascus, when he was blinded and he met God, his life actually changed in a way that now, rather than wanting to be paraded and wanting to be praised, he's actually preaching in a way and nearly escaping with his life and being lowered out of the city in a wastebasket. So he says, you say pleasure and prosperity validate your ministry. Well, I've given that up. And here's a good example of it in Damascus. So Paul, Paul goes on and on and on about this list. And as Christians, I think that we can read this list and kind of as Alex said, we can read incredible faithfulness and incredible strength into that. And as there is, but Paul is not saying that to puff himself up. What Paul is doing is he's saying, look, I want to show you how much that I love God and how much that I love you, that I'm willing to go through all of this to bring you this message because that is what Christ has done for me. Um, Paul understands that to win 
people to a gospel of self-promotion and self-praise is actually not to win them to the gospel of Christ at all. Jesus says um, in Matthew 20, 28, Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then in Matthew 16, he says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So what does that mean for us? What can we learn from Paul's boasting and weaknesses? Well, I think there are three takeaway points that we have from this. One, and maybe most strikingly from this section, we have to deal with health and wealth and prosperity and pleasure and suffering appropriately. Especially in Western Christianity, and this would have also been true um, for Corinth, Uh, There is sometimes preached a dangerous association between following God and receiving his blessings. When the Lord called Saul, um, which is obviously now Paul, um, his exact words were, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. From the get-go, Paul had no mistaking that suffering uh, was a part of following Christ. And he had no mistake that that also meant that he needed to surrender honor and glory and praise. So, kind of what happens in sometimes Western Christianity is uh, this preaching of what we call an over-realized eschatology. And basically what that means is that upon believing Jesus and upon receiving the Holy Spirit, all my worldly sufferings are going to melt away. I'm, all I need to do is just call on the name of Jesus and I'm not going to have cancer. All I need to do is call on the name of Jesus and there's going to be a thousand dollars in my bank account and I don't know where it came from. And What this over-realized eschatology ends up doing is it puts too much emphasis on alleviating suffering and too little emphasis on the reward and also the cost of suffering for the sake of Christ. Over-realized eschatology results in faith that is obsessed with gifts and ignores the giver. It results in Christians that are weak and have fickle faiths. But there's also another extreme that we can get this wrong in, and that's under-realized eschatology. And that's basically to say that there is no association between following Christ and receiving his Holy Spirit and having a transformed life and human flourishing. Um, Under-realized eschatology... Um, basically says, basically makes our God too small. says that upon following him, there's not going to be any change that happens in this world. And so one of the things that we can take away from this section of Paul is we have to say, where do we find the balance between these two things? It's kind of the God is already working here and is yet not working all the way here and in this time yet. So, That is how we deal with suffering and health and wellness, suffering and health and wellness and prosperity um, appropriately. 
we have to realize there's kind of two sides to this coin. The second thing um, that I think we can take away as an application from this passage is that we have to stop evaluating whether or not we are in God's will uh, based on whether or not things are going well for us. Um, I know that there are many times in my life when I have had way too much anxiety on my shoulders because things didn't plan out exactly the way that I thought that they were meant to plan out. And in a lot of ways, that makes me wonder, oh, am I being faithful to God? Did I mess up somewhere along the way? But Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great quote. And for those of you who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, um, he was basically a German pastor and theologian and tried to assassinate Hitler during World War II. And uh, he ended up being caught for this assassination attempt um, and, and executed for it. And uh, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship, um, if, if there are any of you who recognize the name of that book. And one of the quotes that he has is that we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Sufferings can actually be a sign that we're right in the middle of God's will if that's where God calls us to be. And then the third thing that I think that we can take away from this text is that especially on a college campus that is obsessed with getting all the credentials that you need for your next job, uh, the next place you're going to be, we have to fight the urge to be a resume-obsessed culture that boasts in beauty, intelligence, pedigree, success, and education. Paul, in this section, boasts in his weaknesses. And this reveals the glory of God in two ways. One, it basically says, God accomplished through me what I would not be able to have accomplished alone. And then secondly, it reveals that um, Paul viewed the content of his message as totally worth every amount of suffering that he endured and eternally valuable. What we pursue in this world and with what fervor we pursue it communicates to those around us what we find most valuable. And as Alec has already read out of Philippians, Paul was intent on pursuing and receiving righteousness from Christ and not from the law. So I'll end with another um, Bonhoeffer quote. Um, Disciples will not be weakened by suffering, worn down and embittered until they are broken. Instead, they bear suffering by the power of him who supports them. The disciples bear the suffering laid on them only by the power of him who bears it all, who bore it all suffering on the cross. In bearers of suffering, they stand in communion with the crucified. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much um, that you set an example for us um, to surrender and to be willing to sacrifice um, all earthly reward (laughs) that we might receive. Um, God, we thank you that you left heaven um, which you rightfully, um, rightfully sat in and came to earth in the humble form of a baby 
uh, not with trumpets and fanfare, which you rightfully deserved, um, but so that we, you might relate to us in our sufferings. Um, thank you for enduring the cross. Um, God, I ask that you would give us the strength and the joy um, to endure suffering for your sake. Um, and that in a world that is obsessed with wealth and health and prosperity and pleasure, um, we, we would be honored to lay it down for your sake. God, uh, call us where you would, um, whether that's in a season of flourishing um, or whether that's in a season of suffering. Uh, we surrender ourselves to you. Thank you for making a way for us to be with you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.